This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. And uh, hey, next Sunday is Easter. It's kind of a big deal. It's going to be awesome. And, and for those of you that watch online in our Sunday evening experience online, man, I want to encourage you. There are a number of people I shot a note to this week that have not been back since COVID hit. And I understand we, we went into a new, norm, new normal, but uh, I think it's time. I think it's time. I think you'll be safe. I think Jesus will take care of you at church. So I want to encourage you. I read a statement by James Clear, the book Atomic Habits, phenomenal book. If you're into reading about leadership, you like leadership, it's an incredible book. And he makes this statement. Our lives do not rise to the level of our goals. They fall to the level of our habits. And I know for a lot of people, man, maybe you just got out of the habit. We want you to know we love you. We like you. We'd love to see you next Sunday. It's going to be incredible. And the only thing that that you need to know is it wouldn't be the same without you. So we hope you'll join us. This morning, we're moving into Romans chapter 5. And as we do that... um, I was thinking about the change that takes place from the first four chapters of Romans moving into chapter five. And and if you're a guest this morning, we're rolling through the book of Romans. We're going verse by verse because Romans does an amazing job of telling us who God is, who we are, and what to do about it. It's just incredibly practical uh, for our lives today. And I was thinking about that change, and I was thinking about the fact that change comes into every area of our lives. All of us deal with change. It's just part of life. It's unavoidable. There are people that say, well, I don't like change. But in reality, we're used to change. The weather changes. Our clothes change day by day. Sometimes where we live changes. A lot of people are changing where they live right now. A lot of people are changing states right now. But, but it's just part of what we deal with in life. But sometimes those changes are seismic There are those changes that happen in life where you know, once this takes place, after this moment, I'll never be the same again. It's changes that come and they just just impact us at a level where we know life is forever changed. Like, Like you've been married a little while and he starts snoring. Life just changed. It's going to be different forever. Or when she starts snoring, life just changed. Or or guys, you look in the mirror, guys, and, and the hairline's kind of starting to recede. And you know... Everything just changed, like it's never going to be the same again. But sometimes there are changes that are good, like, like when you said, I do, everything changed. The first time you held the new baby, everything changed. The job that you stepped into and you, you love what you do now, everything changed and life will never be the same. And just like those seismic life-changing, life-defining moments can happen in our day-to-day life. They can also happen in our spiritual life. There is a change that takes place when you become a follower of Jesus where life will never be the same. In the first four chapters in the book of Romans, we discovered a lot about who we are. If you missed it, kind of the recap is you have sinned, I have sinned, We are all broken in some areas. We all mess up in some areas. Uh, Let's not pretend. Let's just be real. We all do things in our lives 
that are not honoring to God, we all have those moments, those patterns, those habits, those thoughts, those reactions, those words. None of us are perfect. God knows it and we know it. So the first four chapters in Romans is sort of laying out the condition of who we are and who God is and the fact that God offers us a path out of our mess because of his goodness and his love. And so now as we move into chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is the Word of God, he's just using Paul to write it, begins to teach us what can be so different in our lives because of knowing Jesus. What can be so different in our future because of knowing Jesus. Becoming a Christ follower, being a Christ follower, comes with a benefit package that is a reality painted in Scripture. And he's going to break down part of that and, and, and what that can look like and some of the perks, some of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have... Well, w- when you see the word therefore, someone said, see what it's there for. Therefore is a, a continuing thought. Because of the first four chapters, because of the reality that you've messed up and I've messed up and, and we've disappointed God, we've disappointed ourselves. And, and our condition is honestly... Worse than we thought, because we try to ignore or gloss over those areas of our lives where we mess up. Therefore, because of that, in light of all that, since we have been justified, it's a theological term that means to be made right with God, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Would you say that in your day-to-day life, you have peace with God. Some people think that that's just not even attainable. Like, how, how could you even get to that place? I don't know that I could ever have that. But God doesn't lie, and he says in his word, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this, this spiritual transaction that's taking, pl- taking place where the Holy Spirit of God has come into my life because I've invited Jesus into my life, he's forgiven my sin, We have peace with God. One of the things I love about this passage is the intentionality of the tense. We have peace with God. It's not we will have peace with God. It's not we're working toward having peace with God. It's that this is something that is fully available in this moment right now that has nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with your position. You're a follower of Jesus, and part of what he gives us is peace. So if you're a Christ follower and you don't have peace with God, you're missing out on something that he's already offered and is fully available. Notice what he says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast, some translations say rejoice, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Therefore, in light of chapters 1 through 4, we have peace with God because God did everything necessary through his son Jesus to make a way for you and I to connect with the Father in a personal and intimate way, to have an ongoing relationship, a connected relationship with God the Father because of what the Son, Jesus Christ, did. Peace with God. I think, I think honestly, it's the greatest need of our lives. Because if you think about your day-to-day life, having peace with God changes everything. When I have peace with God, 
It brings a confidence into my life no matter what I'm dealing with in life. Peace with God. And then look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. No, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. God is trying to communicate in the exact same passage the idea of peace with God, but he's going to talk about the ability to have it even when we suffer. If you've got the raise and the bonus and the new title, I understand you feeling peaceful. If you've got the house you've been wanting, I get being peaceful, especially right now. Like 18,000 people make an offer. If you get it, go you. Like, I understand feeling peaceful. But sometimes, sometimes I think we confuse momentary pleasure with actual deep peace. He's going to tell us that there's a way, even when we suffer, to experience peace with God. And listen, we suffer. Suffering is going to come into every life. Suffering does not care what your resume looks like. Suffering does not respect the good choices you've made. Suffering will not avoid you because your bank account reaches a certain level. There is no zip code you can move to that suffering does not invade at some point. Suffering is something that we all walk through. It's unavoidable. Notice what he says. Not only so, but... We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. But if you're suffering, that doesn't feel very helpful. Suffering produces perseverance. Who cares? Character. I'm already a character. Everybody's a character. Hope. Man, hope feels like something that just evaporates when you need it the most, when you're suffering. What does this actually mean? It means that having peace with God changes everything, including our perspective, it can, when we walk through suffering. We can make it, and not just survive, but beyond that, in our suffering. Because of this this peace with God, The suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. What does it mean in day-to-day life? Is that just a phrase we learn where we try to make ourselves feel better, but that phrase does not pull me out of the pain that I feel in suffering? What does it mean? That word, perseverance, it's a unique word that's used in the text. It it, it paints the picture of a, a championship team. One thing we know, I, I don't know what your team is. If, if you follow football, if you follow pro football, I don't know what your team is. None of you probably know who my team is. But, but if, if, you've, if you've been here any time, you know it's the Cowboys. So I've been in therapy for two decades because they don't win jack now after the season. But a championship team, one of the things we know about championship teams, and you know it if you're watching sports, whatever, your field, whatever you like, if it gets to the fourth quarter and the championship team is losing, You're concerned, but you're not worried. Because championship teams have a way of winning. They have a way, even though it may be late in the game and they may be down, of persevering. The word literally means endurance, even in struggle. They have a way of coming back. In fact, championship teams will wear down the opponent in the first three quarters. They're not afraid of the fourth quarter because they have a depth that others don't have. 
They've developed a depth through endurance. They, they have practiced. They spend far more hours in practice than they do actually in the game, and that practice has developed an endurance that they can take into the game, but they also have a confidence because championship teams, they've been here before. Now, if you're new and following Jesus or you haven't been following Jesus very long, you might think, well, how can I have that kind of confidence and how can I build that kind of endurance? I've never been here before. Well, your Savior has, and he's the one living inside you, and he's the one that you're trusting. He, he's been there before. He knows how to pull off the fourth quarter win. He understands what it is when it looks like everything is lost and all hope is gone. Perseverance can happen in our life spiritually when we build this endurance, and endurance is built through hard work. You cannot microwave endurance. It takes place over time in the slow cooker of life, whereas we walk through one challenge after another, one suffering after another, and we lean into that peace with God. What, what does lean into peace with God look like? It means day by day, sometimes moment by moment, I remind myself that there is a God and it is not me. I need somebody beyond me, and thankfully he loves me. And he's put his spirit inside me. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every single Christ follower. And I can rely on that in those moments. When you build perseverance through suffering, when you build endurance, what used to wear you out and deplete you, now it tires you, but you can keep going. You, you have enough in the tank to continue. And it produces something spiritually in our lives. And because of suffering in the process, you're better. You've become a different person. You have some endurance now in the suffering. You trust God even when things look bad. And you don't trust God. Listen, trusting God has nothing to do with how I feel. Trusting God has to do with the fact that my feelings are screaming at me that I shouldn't, but I'm going to lean into my faith because I know that God has never lied. He loves me enough that he gave his son to die for me. And so I'm going to place deliberately, a, a deliberate choice to place my trust in God and what he says. Not because it feels like it, because there are far too many moments in life where how it feels collides with what scripture teaches. And in those moments, I can trust my feelings and lean into fear, or I can trust my faith and lean into peace with God, the peace he offers. It's not some kind of delusional thinking of, okay, I'm just going to pretend there's not a problem. Do you know people like that? Like, oh, no, you got a problem. You spend more than you make each month. You got a problem. Like, you can't just ignore that. It's going to catch up. You got a problem. It's not some kind of delusional thinking where it's like, okay, okay, I'm just going to feel good. No, that, that's not it. It's that even in my pain, even in my suffering, even though I have more questions than answers, even though I don't understand and don't like it, even though I would have never signed up for it, at the end of the day, I choose to trust God. I lean into that faith and I desperately need him. And then there's character. Now, in the language of the text, it literally means proven character. A character with track record, a character that has been developed. It, it, it's a picture of per, a person that has developed this endurance, this perseverance, to the point that it's no longer a temporary or just occasional thing. It's a new thing, and it's now who they are. It, it's just part of their makeup. See, suffering will help us realize that we are able to endure far more than we, we thought we could. That is not a lesson that any of us want to learn. That's not something we're excited about. 
Because the only way to learn that is to reach those points in our lives where maybe emotionally, maybe mentally, maybe relationally, maybe vocationally, to reach those points in our lives where we feel like, I'm done. I can't go another step. And then to make that choice of, God, I need you. I need you desperately. God, as best I know how, I'm trusting you to walk me through this, to give me wisdom, to help me hold on to you. God, I'm, I'm struggling to believe. Help me believe. I'm struggling to hold on. Help me hold on. And through suffering, it can bring a tidal wave of confidence into our lives because we see the faithfulness of God. Perseverance or endurance and then, and then character. And then there's that word hope. The word hope in this text literally means certainty, a kind of hope that is certain or a kind of hope that you can be fully confident in. Now, to us, I hope, honestly, it means I wish. I hope the weather's good tomorrow. I hope my team wins. I hope she'll say yes. I hope hope in all this supply chain shortage, I actually get what I've ordered. I mean, I hope is kind of a wish list, but... In this word, what you and I need to understand is, in this text, inspired by God, writing to the Apostle Paul, preserved and protected, the word of God for you and me today, and whatever we're walking through, in this text, in the Bible, this word hope literally means certainty, like having full confidence, no doubt about it, absolutely rock solid, certain. So when the Bible says that our hope is found in Jesus, it doesn't mean we're wishing it'll all work out. I'm a Christ follower, so hopefully God will get me through. That's not what he's saying. It means we're certain in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. And as a result, it changes how we live. It changes my perspective on how I live. That's what suffering can do. What What if we stopped trying to ignore or exit the painful seasons in life that we don't want to experience and started trying leaning into our faith and who God is in those moments. And listen, in no way am I trying to diminish or make light of the pain you feel if you're suffering. No, it's valid and it's real and none of us would want to change places with you. If you could come up and tell your story, we'd all agree, man, that's tough. We're praying for you. Like, what he's talking about here is, hey, suffering's no big deal. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying, there's the pain you feel. And then there's the God who loves you. And often in our suffering, part of our struggle, have you ever known somebody that got stuck in their suffering and they just lived and wallowed in it forever? You and I have a choice when we suffer. We can get stuck there or we can trust God and walk through it and trust him to work in our lives and trust what he's going to do through it because it produces some beautiful things. Suffering is brutal and it's beautiful the result of it often. It's brutal when we suffer. And it's something you can walk through. 
he's saying that now that I have peace with God, it changes my perspective on suffering. It can. And all of it can bring a unique reality to my mind. This kind of peace with God. Peace with God is knowing that God's on my side. But aren't there times in life when it feels like he's not? Aren't there moments when it feels like, God, if you're God, you should be able to pull this off. If you're God, you should be able to answer this prayer. If you're really God, you should be able to restore my marriage. If you're really God, you should be able to help my child. If you're really God, you should be able to help pull me out of this, this fog and discouragement and the way I feel stuck emotionally. If you're really God, if you can walk on water, if you can get your son up three days after he's been crucified, if you can do those things, where are you for me? And I, I don't know how you picture God. I know your mind may go to the pictures you've seen, and God's not a white dude. Like, Jesus was Jewish. Stop it. I don't know how you picture God, but I know with my kids, when they're suffering, and listen, I am a sinful guy. I'm just a guy on the journey with you. We're in this together. And I'm not perfect by a long stretch, and I've made mistakes just about every category in life. Like, I have a Ph.D. in stupid. So this is not because I'm an expert. But when my kids are suffering, I'm more drawn to them. When my kids are suffering, man, I want them to know my love even more. I remember when they were little, when they were little, and they would trip and fall or scratch their knee or scratch their elbow. You know what they would do instinctually because I'm their father? They would do this. It's part of the reason in worship often people raise their hands. I'm just a child reaching for the father. And every time they would do that, when they're suffering, I'd pick them up. Now, if it's because they wanted their fourth ice cream, no, I'm not picking you up. But, but if they're suffering... Listen, I'm drawn to that. And how much more does a perfect heavenly father, how much more is he drawn to us in the moments that we're hurting? But he can see a perspective we don't see. We see the moment. He sees the outcome. He sees what's taking place and what's happening in our lives. Notice verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. I love that phrase. Hope does not put us to shame. What does that mean? It means you're not going to be embarrassed by trusting in God. It means that it might look for a little while like you're losing, you're hurting, it's falling apart, it's collapsing. And listen, here's the beautiful thing about our God. Your future is not based on any other person. You may walk through a kind of hell where somebody else destroys your life. Your future and what God does in your future and who you are and who you are becoming, no other person can stop. That's up to God. You're not going to have a less than future because somebody blew up your world. You're going to walk through some hellacious pain, but your future is not any dimmer than it was before. Because of Jesus, it's fully bright. So our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know what that verse means? It means this works. It means it works. I mean, don't we want to know at the end of the day, the stuff the Bible teaches, does it really work? And part of the reason I think so often in life we don't do what Scripture teaches is because we're not convinced it'll work. But every single thing God says about how to do life, it actually works. You've tried everything else. Why not try following the teachings of Jesus? It it means this works, not necessarily in a minute, maybe not in a few days or a few months. But as we persevere, as we endure, through time, it works. We've bought into the lie that time heals everything. Time doesn't heal anything. It's what you do with the time that can be healing. So as I continue to persevere, 
as I allow God to build that endurance in my life, as I allow him to shape my character, as I, as I remind myself that the hope I have is not a wish, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a fantasy, it's anchored in who God is, not my performance. As I lean into that and lean into my faith, that, then God begins to do some things and in the time, God provides a healing and builds even more endurance even through the suffering as I continue to trust him. And, and then verse six, you see, at just the right time, do you, ever, do you ever wish that God would set his watch to yours? At just the right time, when we were still powerless, a lot of the suffering you and I face in life, we have no ability to change. There's no formula. There's not enough books you can read. Like You have no ability to change it. You've got to walk through it. You can't go around it. You can't avoid it. It's part of life. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, you know what that word ungodly means in the Greek language in the New Testament? Ungodly, you know what it means? You, <laughs> me. Ungodly, that's us. Remember the first four chapters? And chapter five starts with therefore. In the first four chapters, God says, hey, you've sinned and I've sinned. We've all messed up. We've all missed God's standard. None of us are perfect. So we're all in that category, but that's really good news because look, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But remember, you ain't good. I'm not good. We're all broken and messed up. And then verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you did the thing you're the most ashamed of, God knew you would do it, and Jesus died for you anyway. Before you did the things in your life that you are ashamed of and try to ignore and try to forget and hope that nobody brings up, but before you did any of that, before I did any of that, God knew it would take place, but he loves us so much that he gave his son anyway, knowing that I would mess up, knowing how badly we would mess up. And God said, you're in a mess. You're going to be in a mess in your life. And you're not going to be able to have a way out of it, so I'm going to make a way out of it for you. I'm going to take care of your problem. Verse 9 since we have now been justified, made right with God by his blood, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, while we were God's enemies, now that, that phrase right there, it's very common in our culture for people to say things like, we're all God's children. It's common but untrue. The only way you're a child of God is if you know Jesus in a personal way. And scripture teaches that before you become a Christ follower, in my life, before I became a Christ follower, I lived as an enemy of God. Not intentionally, but God, the very definition of God. God was not God in my life. I was God in my life. And so scripture teaches that if you're not a Christ follower, you're living as an enemy of God. Now look at this verse. For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I, I was an enemy of God. You were an enemy of God before you became a Christ follower. 
And, and I didn't do anything to make myself not an enemy. God did everything to reconcile the relationship. There's some things that happen when you become a Christ follower. I, I, I glean from this passage and some things I want us to just think about for a moment. When you become a Christ follower, when I become a Christ follower, first thing is I'm made new. I'm made new. Who I am, my identity. I move from being an enemy of God to a son of God, or ladies, from an enemy of God to a daughter of God. And in doing that, it's not just that there are a few little benefits on the side. You and I become fully heirs. See, so often we try to improve, or we try to do better, or we try to work harder. Your problem, if you're not a follower of Jesus, your problem is not that you need to try better. Your problem is that you're dead spiritually. You don't don't need to do better. You need to be made new. And that's what Jesus offers all of us, to move us from death to life. The Bible paints a picture that if I'm not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're dead spiritually. As a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. You know what I've never seen over the years? I've never walked into a funeral home and seen the funeral director walk up to a casket and say, you need to start doing better. You need to change some habits. I've never seen that. The only thing you can do if you're dead is to be made alive again. And the incredible news, God just happens to specialize in that. That's what he offers to do in our lives. See, as a follower of Jesus, I am made new. That means that the Jesus in me is bigger than the habits that harm me. And the Jesus in me is bigger than the problems that I face. And the Jesus in me is way better than my try harder, do better. It's him inside me. I'm made new. The second thing, when I become a follower of Christ, my future is made new. See, it's so much more than just heaven after we die. The Bible actually says that you and I, followers of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, will be made like him when we're with him. Now, C.S. Lewis said something. He's an author, and I want to share this with you. But before I do, those of you that are church people like you grew up in church, I This might wreck your lunch a little bit, but hang with me and let me explain what I'm talking about. Like, don't hit mute. But but C.S. Lewis said this, if you could see who a Christ follower would become when Jesus returns, you'd be attempted to worship the Christ follower. In other words, what Jesus offers us is not some subpar secondary life. Now, I, I think we need to understand, we're going to become like Jesus, not replace Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Like, you and I will never be Jesus, but we will be like Jesus, and there will be a transaction that takes place. When you become a follower of Jesus, we're growing spiritually, and we're growing day by day, and some people grow faster than others. You get out of it what you put into it, and even in the suffering, we can choose to lean into faith or lean into fear, but as we're growing spiritually, something takes place. Scripture teaches that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to call the church, his bride, people that are Christ followers to him, and in that moment, we will be made like him. Have you ever thought about that? See, our future is not just that we're saved from hell. Our future is that we're going to become more like Jesus. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We've been invited to the family, but but Jesus didn't say, hey, I I want you to be a part of the family of God. I get everything. You're going to get a few leftovers. No, he brought us in as completely joint heirs of everything that's his. And one day we're going to reign with Jesus, the Bible teaches. 
we, it's amazing the images that we conjure up just in day-to-day life. When we think about the devil, a lot of people think of a guy in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork. And that couldn't be further. Like, that's not, that's not tempting anybody to do anything. Like, get away from me. You look ridiculous. But, but the other thing we do is we conjure up images of heaven. He- heaven is not relaxing on a cloud playing a harp. That's hell. Like, I'm not signing up for any part of that. Forever on a cloud playing a harp. No, don't want that. Drums, maybe, maybe. But, but harp, no, that, that's not. But the Bible teaches in the study of end times, it's called eschatology, that we're going to reign with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. There are moments when I'm talking to you that I'm thinking, do I say that? Do I not say that? Do I say that? Do I not say that? And usually I say that, and then on Monday I think I shouldn't have said that. But, but just, just hang with me. What does that mean? I believe, I believe that God put us on earth to take care of the earth. I believe we're supposed to do the best we can to take care of the earth and manage the earth. But, but some of you, you're, you're freaking out about climate change. Let me just help you a minute. This planet was not created to last forever. God's going to burn it up. Like, we need to manage it. We need to take care of it. We need to do the best we can. But this is not a forever deal, and you cannot extend anything that God created. God created, and he holds it in his hand, and he's going to take care of all that. But the Bible teaches he's going to burn the earth up and create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, for the half of you that are still listening, uh, what that means is those of us that are Christ followers in Scripture, the Bible teaches that we're going to have jobs in that new heaven and new earth. And here's the thing about it. There's going to be work to do. But you're actually going to love what you do. You're going to wake up. I don't know if we sleep at night. I don't know how that's going to work. But you're going to wake up excited about what you get to do that day. Some of you, you're going to be the mayor of a city. All those things you thought, if I'm in charge, you're going to get to do that. But what you think you'll do will probably change by that point. Some of you, you might, you might be the governor of a state. There's going to be work to be done, responsibilities, and you'll love what you do. And it's one of the reasons that how we live here matters so much. Because the Bible says, in eternity, we'll be rewarded for what we do here. Your personal character, how you love God and love others, how you serve in and through the local church, how you invite people to church, how you give financially to the church, that's the hope of the world, how how you treat people, all of that, who you are. You're building a resume for your job in eternity. In fact, the Bible says that someday you, you will judge the world and you will even judge the angels. Think about it. How you live. How you make a difference. You're building your resume for your job in eternity. So the obvious question is, does your resume have anything on it? Like if everybody served to the local church the way you do, what kind of church would we have? If everybody gave the way you gave, what kind of, if everybody invited the way you invited, if everybody prayed the way you pray, it baffles my mind sometimes. People that attend churches, not C3, all over. I've, I grew up in church. People that attend churches for years and years and years and just sit on their butt in a seat and don't do jack. Like, you're, 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 if you're not going to apply what we're talking about, you're wasting your time. And if you've been at C3 a long time and you're not serving anywhere and you're not invested financially and you're not inviting people to the church, if you've been here a long time and that's the case, you probably should find a church where the pastor has a greater ability than obviously I do to motivate you to actually live the followings of Jesus. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you follow the teachings of Jesus and you want to be a part of a church that encourages you to do that. But this do nothing, give nothing, invite nobody, pray rarely kind of attitude, listen, you're spiritually obese. 
And you need to be somewhere that you're engaging your faith and you're living out what you say you believe if you're a follower of Jesus. And even people that don't know God understand that. Like if you say that you've met God, there should be some changes that are obvious in your life. And there should be a little bit less selfishness and a little bit more, I'm going to give some of my time to what Jesus said he's coming back for, the local church, and I'm going to serve and I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to invest in. Like if you've met God, there should be a difference. And even people that don't know Jesus know that. Thank you, two of you. Awesome. Third thing, very, very quickly, not only am I made new and my future is made new, my perspective is made new. Look at this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We rejoice or glory in our sufferings, but not for our sufferings. He's saying when you know what you've got coming, it makes what's happening now more tolerable. You may be struggling today, and you may be hurting today, You may be in pain today. Suffering for the Christ follower, it's never wasted. It's never wasted. God doesn't cause it, but God will use it. Don't don't blame God for evil. God doesn't cause suffering, but God will use suffering. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've created my biggest problems. I've created my deepest pains. My largest regrets, that's on me, not God. But our God can take the worst and he can turn it into good. It doesn't mean that what happened is good. It doesn't mean that I'll sign up for it. I want it again in my life. No, no, no. It means that what's happening as a result can be good. This is why we can take the worst event in human history on the worst day in human history and call it Good Friday. What was Satan's greatest victory on Friday by Sunday was his greatest defeat because God has the ability to take things the enemy means to use in a horrible way in our lives and for the follower of Jesus as we continue to persevere and lean into faith and trust God, God has a way to bring good out of it. So when it comes to you and me, because God allows suffering, it's important to realize it doesn't mean he causes it. God is not looking from heaven and saying, you know what, I think, I, think he, I, think she, I think they need some suffering. But if you're his son, if you're his daughter, if you're a follower of Christ, he will, he will intervene to bring good out of bad. Your suffering will not be wasted. You know another way it won't be wasted? There's some people that I know, um, because as a pastor, often I get a front row seat to tragedy in people's lives. Like I'm I'm the guy that people call when their world blows up. And I've seen a lot. And my heart grieves and breaks for the level of pain and suffering I often see in people. But can I just tell you, when I'm struggling, when I'm going through seasons of suffering, maybe that only the people closest to me know about, It's the people who've been through suffering that encourage me the most. It's the people who've walked through pain. There are people in the life of our church that have had a child that's died at a young age. When they walk through those doors and there's a smile on their face, it's not because the pain's gone, it's because God's good. It's not because they just pretend it didn't happen, it's because day by day, God does what he promises. And listen, God won't waste your suffering because when you go through suffering and you lean into him 
Angie, my bride, has said often, your pain becomes your platform. And God will use that in the lives of other people because we all suffer. And when we suffer, what we're looking for is some kind of hope that there's a way out. And when we see you and what you've walked through and you're still in pain, but you're trusting God, you're still in pain, but there's a smile on your face and it's not forced, it's authentic, and it comes from a soul place because you have peace with God, it encourages like nothing else. Another thing we need to know is because we know Jesus' suffering is temporary. It's bad. It's indescribable. Sometimes the suffering is so intense it's hard to breathe, and the pain is so deep that it's hard to feel, but it's temporary. That doesn't neglect the depth of pain. It doesn't make everything better. I'm certainly not making light of suffering. I'm just trying to make great of our God who's got our future. And as a Christ follower, it's going to be better soon. It's interesting to me, the same, the same guy that God uses to write this letter, Romans, he also used to write letters to other churches. One of them is Corinth. The apostle Paul suffered beyond belief, but notice what he says in his second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, what, what's he talking about? The line was too long at Walmart. You didn't get the parking spot by the door. Light and momentary troubles. What does he mean? Well, he tells us later in the same letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 11, here were what Paul defined as his light and momentary troubles. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. And by the way, by the way, this is prison where your meals aren't catered and there's no weight room and no basketball court or cable TV. This is like dungeon real prison. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea floating by itself. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, feels like Dr. Seuss, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." He dealt with all of that. Any one of those things would take most of us out, we wouldn't be at church for six months. He dealt with all of that. Same guy, Spirit of God, working in his life. Isn't it interesting that God uses somebody so uniquely familiar with suffering to write about suffering? And same guy says this, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles... How in the world could he compare that? It's because while the trouble and the pain and the suffering is so real and so deep, our God is so good and so loving and so profoundly gracious to us and desires to be so connected with us that who God is is so big, it diminishes the reality of what's very, very real. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, this is important, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when life gets hard, maybe today you're suffering, don't don't be surprised. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. All of us go through suffering. 
It's something we walk through. And the enemy wants you to believe that as a follower of Jesus, you're not supposed to go through bad things. Man, you prayed a prayer and you gave your life to Jesus, your marriage should be better. You prayed a prayer and you gave your life to Jesus, your kids should be better. You, you prayed a prayer and you gave your life to Jesus, you should feel more peace in your life. You prayed a prayer and you gave your life to Jesus. Th- th- there's some things you should be having a great life. Listen, knowing Jesus does not insulate you from pain and suffering. It just changes the outcome. Knowing Jesus is, is seen in the outcome of the pain and suffering. Don't let it surprise you. The other thing when it comes to pain and suffering Don't let suffering define you, let it shape you. As a follower of Jesus, don't let it define you, let it shape you. People who are shaped by suffering are changed by suffering. People who are defined by suffering are dominated by suffering. Don't let it define you, let it shape you. How do I let it shape me? Maybe you pray a thousand times in a day, God, I need you today. Moment by moment. When the pain is the deepest, when the struggle is the most real, God, I need you. Maybe you allow it to help you realize everybody suffers and you become more compassionate for people. Maybe you become more patient with people. Maybe you realize and focus on and become grateful for what's good in your life. Maybe you become more grateful for who's good in your life. But in that suffering... Our prayer is, God, help me to learn everything you want me to learn. I can't avoid the class. I have to take it. So help me learn all I can and show me your faithfulness through this process. And he will walk with you moment by moment. The Bible promises God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When we have peace with God, it changes everything, even in suffering. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the reality of the truth of your word. And Father, the reality and the truth that our only hope is you. In life, suffering or not, our only hope is you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know the greatest need of your life is you need to commit your life to Jesus. All the benefits we talked about today and what, can, what God can do in suffering, it's only available to those that are followers of Christ. And God wants that to be you. So if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never stepped in and leaned into your faith, the first step and the essential step to having peace with God is becoming a Christ follower, inviting Jesus to come into your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd like to do that, I want to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But if you'd like to have peace with God and everything he offers and provides because of his deep love for us, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.